What's good, everybody? Welcome back to the All Things Basketball podcast. I'm your host, Vic Lopez, as always, and I'm going to jump right into these games that I watched. Uh, I'm going to kind of get into what I'm going to do exactly is I'm going to do the Celtics Sixers games one and two right off the bat just to kind of get those out of the way. It was obviously just my bigger thoughts are game one because of just what unfolded for everybody. One of the most disappointing losses of the postseason for Boston, including their home loss to Atlanta. And in similar fashion, where they face a team without their key player versus the Hawks, there was no DeJounte Murray. And this time it was even worse with no Joel Embiid for Philly. Now, no Embiid, and I told a lot of people this, and I've been talking about it uh, during the regular season, when Embiid is not out there, uh, it, it means the rim is free for the opposing teams to attack, right? That that elite shot blocker is not there. So this game should be won convincingly. But I also told people that while this game was going on, and I've said it many times, the Sixers play with so much more speed, so much more space, so much more pace when Embiid is not out there. And just collectively, the team is a little more focused. They know that they can't, fall asleep on multiple possessions they 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 don't have to kind of have that in the back of their minds of hey man just dump it to Embiid maybe he draws a double maybe he draws a triple and I'm just gonna stand right here and just wait for my opportunity uh when Embiid's not playing the team has to be more involved it's it's more of a collective effort in this case um you know Maxi gets more minutes obviously playing without Embiid beside him at the fast pace that he prefers because he's not logging minutes alongside of him. So he basically gets to play the game he loves to play. And all that being said, the Sixers are better with Embiid. I'm not saying that, you know, that, oh my God, they should just sit Embiid the rest of the series. Um, They're better with Embiid. There's no doubt about it. But for short periods of time, there are benefits to not having Joel Embiid out there. And Harden gets pushed into a corner in game one where he has to be the guy and he showed up and it was vintage James Harden getting to the basket finding his teammates cooking everyone on the Celtics but couple issues with this game like I just I don't I don't understand you know Harden just cooking the Celtics all night long they refuse the entire game they refuse to blitz James Harden on those high pick and rolls on the side pick and rolls on dribble handoffs just whenever he had the ball they refused to blitz him. I mean, it was there were some hedges here and there, but again, he would just run, pick, and roll and spam that until he found his preferred matchup, which obviously game one was against Al Horford, right? Um, just kind of getting where he wanted. And this guy, I mean, James Harden, a 45-point game, he was cooking, and I was getting texts saying, wow, this is Houston Rockets' James Harden, and I'm saying... And I'm and I literally said there's no way that he's doing this the entire game, right? Like I just I refused to believe that James Harden was gonna cook like this for all four quarters, and and it really was what he did. Um, you know, he just he couldn't be stopped. But when Harden is the clear prime threat for the Celtics, and there's no Embiid, it should be the easiest game to blitz James Harden. When he's on his pick and roll action, just make sure that there's a strong side defense wherever Maxi is for his drives. 
Let everybody else beat you, and you will win that game in the long run. Tobias Harris, who gets off to an amazing start, you know, kind of falls off after a while. And it's funny, we fall into that trap every single year, every single game. Tobias Harris starts off just on point, and then you kind of forget he exists, right? And, and coaches and players, they have to know this in a scouting report. Like, this is a guy that he goes hot, and he also just goes insanely cold, or he just doesn't he just loses the aggression I don't know what happens with Tobias Harris but that's just who he is that's who he's been and that's who you have to let beat you you know you let Tobias Harris beat you but you know anyone but Harden and Maxi right just anyone but Harden and Maxi instead I'm looking at single coverage I see the Celtics just switching everything on defense which is a super benefit to the way James Harden wants to play because that's the whole point of of his of his pick and roll spamming He's literally, he knows that you guys are switching everything. He is going to get his matchup on those single coverage switch everything schemes that the Celtics were trying to play, you know. And, you know, Harden just dissected that Celtics defense over and over again. And once the game gets to the final moments, a close game like that, it just becomes a coin flip. You know, the Celtics, they blew their chance in game one, in wild ways that reminded me of last year's Celtics. You know, you have Jason Tatum. Golly, I mean, he cannot get to the rim without losing the ball. It happened so often. He just, no control of the basketball. I mean, anywhere that he would try, any point in the game that he would try to drive, it was a mission for him. You know, and, and it's either him getting fouled or him just losing the ball out of bounds or, or, or defenders just, just help side defense just coming over and poking that ball out of his hands. You know, it's really hard to watch. And then you see Malcolm Brogdon just uncharacteristically, you know, he's been the guy on the Celtics other than maybe like Derek White on the Celtics who who has been able to be trusted, right? Like it's a guy you've been able to trust to not mess things up. And there goes Brogdon throws a pass where he thought he'd have a teammate. It ends up right in the hands of Maxi. Maxi ends up going to the other side and lays that up. Um, you know, that was just a crucial turnover for the Celtics. And then Smart has a bad drive, kind of loses the ball, tries to get it to Tatum, but, you know, Tatum can't really hold on to that ball. It was just a bad pass off of, like, just, you know, just when the defense collapses and, and Tatum actually gets called for a foul. I don't know if you guys remember that at the end of game one. Game's over at that point. I mean, it was a masterpiece, James Harden, game one. Just a 45-point game that, like I said, I, I didn't expect to see at least... I mean, like, if you... Harden is cooking you in the first half. He comes in the third quarter, and he's still just as aggressive. You gotta blitz it. You have to double him. You have to get the ball out of his hands because the game plan, when Embiid is not there, it's as clear as day. It's gonna be... Put the ball in James Harden's hands and let him figure out the game. You take it out of his hands, you're making the, the Sixers play plan C basketball, right? Versus plan B. These guys play plan B basketball, which is no Embiid. Okay, cool. Uh, Harden, you're the guy. Maxi, you're the second option in this case. You know, sometimes Maxi will take that first option role if Embiid's not playing, just depending on, on what kind of game we're getting out of Harden. But you, if, if you're seeing Harden just pop off like this, you got to take the ball out of his hands. You can't continue to play him in single coverage. It just made no sense. And then we get game two, 
right? Um, Celtics played the Sixers with Embiid, which was last night, and they beat them by almost 40, you know? And, and it's honestly so amazing to see how different the Sixers are with Embiid, for better or worse. You know, Harden, he goes back to his secondary option role, right? And he struggled really badly. It's like you're basically going from, okay, I have to make everything happen to, okay, let's make sure Embiid is eating, and then I'm going to try to do what I can when the ball finds me. You know, and I know Doc Rivers tries to put the ball in Harden's hands and and lets, you know, wants James Harden to just be James Harden, but it is very difficult when you have the MVP on your team, right? I mean, your teammate is the MVP of the league. Congrats to Joel Embiid, obviously, who just won MVP, but Again, you know, it's as soon as they put him in the lineup, the team just shifts completely. The pecking order is completely different. The the strategy just on defense, on offense, it's it just shifts so hard that it, it played to the hands of the Celtics. Like I said, they they can't get back in transition, right? Because again, Embiid, slow-footed guy, doesn't get back on defense, right? When when it's a fast-paced game, it's really hard for Embiid to get back on defense. Obviously, Embiid, when it's half-court defense, when it's a set defense and Embiid is already there, yes, it's very hard to score on the Sixers because he's right there, just denying anything that's at the rim. But again, you know, Celtics, they're knocking down threes. You know, Tatum had a really bad game. He couldn't stay out of foul trouble in this game. And, you know, Jalen Brown has a good game. Um, and it's just really like a collective effort of, of how these Celtics won the game. And it just shows you how much better the Celtics are than the Sixers. Now, after that game, after game two, I don't really want to talk too much about game two. I mean, that thing was a blowout. Um, and really, that's how game one should have gone. Obviously, the Celtics just weren't ready for for that type of style that the Sixers can play without Embiid. But with Embiid out there, you know, you, you hear the, the talking heads on TV that they're saying they don't know why Embiid played in game two and that maybe they should have just continued um, the same lineup that they had in the first game, give Embiid an extra game of rest since you already won a game on the road. I disagree with that. Um, I, 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 don't, I don't know, you know, like I feel like would I want to play with the same lineup since it did have success? I think I would probably have tried it, right, to start the game. And then if it's looking, you know, like kind of a struggle, then you kind of put Embiid in the game. But then at the same time, which I'm not hearing people talk about, it's like, guys, Embiid just won the MVP. He missed the game. He missed the last game for the Sixers series, uh, the, the Sixers-Nets series. Um, you know, he misses another game in this Celtics series after winning the MVP. And it, I can already tell people will probably slander him. It's like, damn if you do, damn if you don't. Like, if Embiid doesn't play game two, people are going to just bash him and say, this is the MVP, like... He's not playing in these games, and meanwhile, you have Jokic playing all these games and dominating, you know, but it is what it is, you know, I mean, if he's healthy, you gotta play him, so I don't know where I would go with that, I mean, I guess, obviously, if Embiid's healthy, he's your best player, what are you gonna do, not play him, you know, I don't know the injury situation, I don't know how bad it is, I don't know how, you know, how painful it is for him right now, I don't know, I, I, I honestly, I don't know how to go about that, I just... I guess, obviously, if he's healthy, you play him, you know, but here they go, you know, back back uh, to Philly, and Boston has to take at least a game over there, you know. I'm, I'm assuming that they're probably going to lose game three. I think 
the Sixers haven't had a home game in like 12 days, okay? Uh, so that crowd's going to be pretty energetic. They're going to be happy to, to see their MVP finally, right? Finally, Embiid wins his MVP. Um, you know, in the hands of all, in, in the minds of all those Philly fans, they were just desperate for that MVP for for Joel Embiid. So, you know, it's it's going to be a pretty a pretty crazy environment in Philly. I think that it's going to be enough energy from the crowd. You're going to get, you know, the team is locked in again. You know, they they basically are back to earth uh, because game two was like, okay, we got Embiid back. And it's just, I don't know, you know, it kind of messed up a little bit of, of what they had going in game one. I think that now game three, they, they, they know what to expect now, right? So I'm going to just say the home crowd energy, I think the Sixers will win game three. And then I think the Celtics will eventually just win game four. And then from that point on, I can see the Celtics winning it in six. Um, but, you know, I just, I don't know. You know, we got, we got a lot of games that passed, obviously, Suns Nuggets game two. You know, I said this when when I did my series preview that the best chance for the Suns to win games against these Denver Nuggets is going to be on bad Denver Nuggets shooting nights and they got exactly that. You know, but but the Suns couldn't capitalize with a bad shooting night of their own. It that just speaks to the depth of the Nuggets and the greatness of Jokic just being able to take over when he has to. You know, Chris Paul gets injured in the middle of the third quarter in this game jumping for a rebound. Just right on cue, you know, around the time he typically has been hurt in the playoffs. And, you know, just just father time finally at his neck. You know, I mean, like this guy cannot stay healthy for an entire playoff run. And I mean, it's 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 been hard to watch him. You know, he can barely move out there as it is. And and, and that and his hamstring goes and he's not even I mean, if you go back and look at that play, he's 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 like. He's getting ready for that rebound, and he jumps as high as he can, and then his hamstring just goes, you know? It's like, man, you know, it's just so unfortunate for him. And, you know, I asked for more threes from the Suns after watching game one, and we got exactly that, but they just couldn't make them. You know, Durant goes two for 12 from three, and as a team, the, the Suns shot six for 31, which is 19% from three. You know, the Nuggets, who were also terrible from three, they shot seven for 27 as a team, which is 26%. You know, uh, KCP, Contavious Caldwell-Pope, he showed up to play. He made some clutch threes. I mean, all four of his threes were very much needed in this game. Um, you know, and I don't remember one of those late threes he made was off of a screen. It was a very tough three in motion. It was, it was a big one, man. And, and obviously, you know, Aaron Gordon came to play. He played very well. He's been good in this series. And obviously Jokic, who just put the team on his back essentially, and just literally went to work. Uh, Jamal Murray, who told the reporter after game one, that this isn't bubble Murray. This is healthy Murray. Well, game two, the healthy Murray, and he was terrible, right? It was healthy Murray, and he was awful. 10 points on 3 of 15 from the field, 0 for 9 from 3. I mean, like, healthy, I mean, he's healthy Murray, right? Like, what? what is this then? You know, he's just been that guy, right? Like, one night he'll give you 40. The next one he might give you 20. Maybe one night he gives you 15. But the 50-point games, the hot games, he looks so incredible, that you constantly think he's back, 
you know, and then he lays an egg in a random game like this. You know, he's very Tobias Harris-ish, but obviously at a way more elite level. You know, I, I'll definitely trust Jamal Murray more than Tobias Harris, more than DeAndre Ayton, and those kind of guys um, that, that'll give you more bad games than good games. Um, but Jamal Murray, you know, one of those guys, you know, you don't really know which Jamal Murray you're going to get, right? And speaking of you don't know what version you're going to get, that's how I see Michael Porter Jr., you know, he he was not good in this game, and you never know what version of this guy you're going to get. Like, it's either flashes of Tracy McGrady, or it's just bad shot taking, and he's just a body running laps. You know, this game, it was very tight, and it really came down to the last five minutes of the fourth quarter, where the Nuggets go on a 25-10 to 10 run and just got away from the Suns down the stretch. You know, the game ended at a relatively low score. It was 97-87, to 87, and the Nuggets win an ugly one, you know? I mean, the, the Suns, who who I was bashing, and, and the whole league and, and everyone outside of the league is bashing about, you're losing the math problem. You know, it's twos versus threes, and the Nuggets are winning that battle, you know? And, and if you want to go two for two, Jokic is one of the best two-point scorers in the league. Like, this is a guy, you give him the ball, and he is going to get you a bucket, he can get it in the three, even though he's not a great three-point shooter, right? Like, you would tell, okay, you can tell me his percentages are high, right? But he doesn't take that many, right? He takes like one three a game, maybe two threes a game. So, you know, all you have to do really is make one, and your percentages are going to be very high. Um, he is a good shooter, though, you know, for obviously for the position. In the mid-range, he can get you on fadeaways. He's got post moves. I can go on and on about Jokic, and, and you guys know all of this about Jokic. It's just that this guy, you 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 put him in single coverage, right? One-on-one, -on -one, he's going to figure that out. He's going to score on his man. He's going to put your man in foul trouble. You want to double him, he's either going to be able to split that double with, with a very quick spin move that he has. He's very quick with that spin move going left or right. Now, he could also just find a teammate right away, and the teammate gets a, a driving lane. And then if that teammate's driving... Jokic finds that teammate, and this team is so in sync that if, if the help defense helps on that player driving, he's going to kick it out to a corner three, you know? So it's like this Nuggets team is very in sync. The chemistry is as perfect as it's ever been, and it's really a headache for the Suns, you know? It's it's just, you know, everyone everyone just, just looking at this Suns-Nuggets series is, is calling this series a wrap, and I understand you know, Chris Paul, he's out, right? It said here potentially for the next two games in the series. You know, after this game, I get a text from several people that tell me the series is a wrap. You know, people telling me the Nuggets are the champs this year. You know, and it's like people overreact so hard because of the recency bias. Like people fall into that trap no matter who you talk to, no matter how big of a basketball fan they are, or how much they think they know. Saying that they're the champs and it's a foregone conclusion, it's such a stupid thing to say. Like, there's, there are flaws on every single team in the playoffs. And the Nuggets have some flaws. You know, they do. You know, and, and what I'm saying is the holes in that Nuggets team can be exploited by teams that are still playing in these playoffs right now. You know, if you have reliable three-point shooting, if you play fast or if you have a dominant big... You have a shot. I'm going to give you the teams that can beat the Nuggets. Now, I'm not saying that they will beat the Nuggets. I'm saying they can. You know, people are saying it's a foregone conclusion. This team is just going to win the title. 
no, this is not the KD Warriors. You know what I'm saying? Like, this team has flaws. Uh, you know, you have the Lakers, right? They have Anthony Davis. He can totally give Jokic trouble on both ends of the court, right? That allows the rest of the Lakers to be more focused on the role players for the Nuggets, you know, because Jokic, he will try to involve them, you know, and the Lakers can turn this into an Anthony Davis versus Jokic one-on-one game, maybe Vanderbilt helping here and there, but the Lakers can then focus on the rest of the guys, you know, a lot better than a lot of other teams can who don't have that type of interior presence like an Anthony Davis. I'm looking at the Warriors. They don't have interior defense, but they can turn this game into a track meet. They can outshoot the Nuggets. You know, they can just give Jokic a tough time in a fast-paced game. They can really tire him out. You know, Celtics, similar thing as the Warriors. They have an ability to play multiple ways, except the Celtics can actually play double big lineups, right? They can run Al Horford and Rob Williams to help on Jokic possessions. They can also play five-man out, right? Play similar to the Warriors in a fast-paced game. I'm looking at the Miami Heat. You know, who are not a great team, but when their role players are actually knocking down shots, they can be a problem for the Nuggets. Even if Jokic eats Bam alive, we all agree Jokic will destroy Bam in a series like that. But, you know, the Heat have really good perimeter defense. They run probably some of the best zone in the NBA right now. So, you know, that is also another reason. You know, the Heat perimeter defense is nothing to mess with. And you're looking at the Sixers, right, who have the now MVP and Embiid, who's proven he can dominate Jokic on both ends, you know? So I'm not saying the Sixers are going to make the finals, but I'm just naming you teams that theoretically can beat the Nuggets, right? This is not some foregone conclusion. This isn't some, you know, oh, it's the Nuggets, give them the title, it's over. No, that's far from the truth. There are many ways to beat this Nuggets team. Obviously, you have to be at your best to do so. Now, you know, make no mistake, though, you know, plenty of teams in these playoffs can beat them, you know, if they're on point. So, you know, and I feel like I, I breezed through that game, too, um, even though there was a lot to kind of talk about in that game between the Nuggets and the Suns. Uh, but again, you know, you're looking at just, you know, KD and Devin Booker, just it's just it's mind boggling, you know, like guys that especially Devin Booker, you know, he has such a such a reputation for being a great shooter and rightfully so you know obviously he's one of the greatest mid-range shooters in the league right now I'm not saying all time although I'm sure the advanced stats you know the the numbers guys will probably tell you he's up there right in terms of mid-range scoring efficiency but when I'm looking at you know his basketball reference you know it just just for context like he gets this reputation of just being a great three-point shooter that's not true. You know, it's just not true. I'm looking at, you know, for a career, he's a league average three-point shooter. You know, uh, I'll go I'll go as far as, you know, th- just this season, right? 35%. That's right there at league average. 38%. That's above league average. 34% the year before that. 35 the year before that. 32 the year before that. 38. So he's been a mid-30s three-point shooter, you know, so it's not like he's some elite three-point shooter that that people are just constantly talking about. Like, he's not he's not some great pull-up three-point shooter. He's going to kill you in the mid-range. He's a great shot creator. He's a great tough shot maker, and Durant, who's been a, a really good three-point shooter in his career, he, he hasn't been able to knock him down either, and he was definitely not shy of doing that. Um, 
in game two. So my thing is, you know, you lose CP3, which means campaign is going to get more minutes in the next games to come. And I'm here to tell you, I'm not saying campaign is better than Chris Paul because that's ridiculous. Uh, I just think that the Suns should be playing much faster. Okay. Some people say they should be playing slower. I don't know how that makes any sense. Why would you want to play a slow game where you allow Jokic to rest? You allow the role guys to rest. You're playing fast. You're really making it hard for Jokic to get up and down. You know, I mean, Jokic is a great transition passer, right? Like a, like an outlet passer in fast break situations, but you're playing four on five. If they, if the, if the Nuggets turn the ball over, right? Um, they take pretty good care of the ball. So if the Nuggets turn the ball over um, and you just get up that floor, you get down that floor, it, it's four on five, you know, or, or, or four on four at the very least, because Jokic isn't running back there with the best of them, you know? So I would say play faster, you know, obviously the threes, man, they got to fall. You know, because if if you're if you're not going to defend well, and by the way, the Suns defended really well in Game Two. Okay, they did, um, but the Suns also just didn't shoot well, or the Nuggets rather, they didn't shoot well either. So it was like a combination of both, and even then, the Nuggets come out on top. You know, Jokic just eating everyone alive. This was this was an amazing Jokic game. You know, I don't I I, I don't know what to expect. You know, the Suns with Cameron Payne. Right in that in that CP3 slot, Cameron playing Cameron Payne plays way faster than Chris Paul. So I'm thinking the Suns are probably going to play with way more pace in Game Three. And don't be surprised if the Suns actually end up winning it, uh, winning this game. Rather, I'm not saying I'm not picking them to win the series, but I wouldn't be surprised if the Suns win this next home game. One because obviously it's at home, and two. Because I feel like things are going to really change when you have more campaign minutes. I'm not a big Cameron Payne guy, but I am a big uh, system guy, like a big uh, change in, in lineups guy, right? Like, like you, you, you swap certain players and the game looks so different sometimes. And I'm telling you, just when we watch this game three, I am going to be expecting game three to be much faster, for the Suns, you know, they're not waiting for Chris Paul to walk the ball up the court. You know, he walks so much in these games. I mean, just watch those games. Chris Paul just walking up and down the floor, man. It is painful to watch, you know, and all that really does is help the Nuggets prepare to set up their defense. And they're very well connected on defense. I, I've been impressed with how they've been able to defend. But to be honest, when, when you're playing against a team that can't shoot threes, it makes your defense much easier to, to, to produce, right? Like, it just, it gives you a way easier job that night. If you're playing a team that doesn't shoot threes, all you have to do is run a zone, right? Like, a, like, a, like an obviously a, a respectable, well-coached zone, and you're going to give them trouble. And that's exactly what, what I'm seeing in these games. You know, the, the skip passes aren't there, right? From from corner to corner. Those aren't going to be made. You know, you got Aaron Gordon hounding those passes. You have Christian Brown hounding those passes. You have Bruce Brown hounding those passes. KCP. I mean, these are guys that... Michael Porter Jr., these are long, athletic, high-energy role guys that are ready to pick off some passes, you know? And then you also have Jokic, who's not a great perimeter defender, but he's obviously tall, so... There's just a lot of space being taken away on the perimeter. And when you're not shooting threes, you're really going to be in a struggle for the rest of the night. You know, I mean, a lot of these shots that Booker and KD are making, they're tough shots. 
You know, and I'm looking at the shots that the Nuggets are getting. They're getting open threes. They're getting easy drives to the basket. Uh, Jokic is getting paint touches that where he just looks unstoppable. I mean, when you're looking at a team that's scoring easier than the other team and also defending the team better, I mean, it's so hard for the opposing team to win those games. You know, if you're shooting poorly and you're not defending well, obviously you're just going to lose that game. And in this game, it was as close as it was, right, so far in this series. But the Suns just couldn't make shots, and that's what it really what it came down to. This was a great opportunity for the Suns to win the game, and they blew it. You know, you got an awful Jamal Murray game. You got a bad Michael Porter Jr. game. You just got a bad shooting night from the, from the Nuggets in general. All you really got was a good shooting night from KCP, a pretty good night from Aaron Gordon, and a, and a monster Jokic night, you know, and... and and you're good for some of those, right? Like, Jokic can just take a game over in his own hands. So, Suns got a lot of work to do. It's not looking good for them. I would probably say that this series is going to be over in five because I'm giving the Nuggets game three. And then I think, I mean, I'm sorry, I'm giving the Suns game three. And I think the Nuggets just run away with this one, right? Like, I think they close it out at home. I think they're going to win uh, game four in Phoenix and then just close it out at home in game five. We have Lakers-Warriors tonight. What do I think is going to happen? I've gotten a couple of texts. Anytime the Lakers are in the playoffs, I get texts. I get DMs. Some people making fun of my team when they lose or whatever. And you know me. I haven't really been talking about the Lakers too much. Um, but, you know, again, I think the Warriors are going to win game two because I just don't like the way the Lakers play after they win a game, right? Like they win a game and then the next game it's like it's like they expect to just automatically walk in and a team's just going to give up. I don't know. You know, it's like it's very frustrating to watch the Lakers after they win a game, right? Like they haven't been the team to kind of like convince you that, oh, yeah, we, we blew them out last night. We're going to blow them out again. Like that's not, you know, that's not the team that, the, that this Laker team is, right? Like they really play to the competition. If the team they're playing against is bad, they're going to play to that level, right? If the team they're playing is great, they're going to play to that level. But even then, like you saw in that Memphis series, they, they destroy Memphis and then they lay an egg the next game, right? Like it's just, it's just that constant, just we're good, we're bad. We're good, we're bad. It's just like, it's very hard to predict what we're going to see. You know, you, go, you see LeBron go one for eight from the field or from three, just chucking up threes. I am so tired of watching LeBron shoot threes over and over and over again, taking bad shots, just bailing the defense out. Like, I don't, I really don't understand. Like, I get it. If LeBron's knocking down threes, it's very demoralizing because you're thinking, man, the one way that we want LeBron to beat us, he's beating us, right? But that's not what he's what he's shown so far. He's had awful shooting nights from three. And even then, impressive that the Lakers won. You know, I mean, they win the first game and, you know, it's the height, it's the depth, it's the defense, like I said, to, to preview that series, you know, and, and, the, and the Warriors shot 40% from three as a team. Jordan Poole shot really well. He took a shot late in that game, right, to try to, obviously, to try to tie the game and he missed it and people are really on, on both sides of it. Some people say it's a bad shot, some people say it was a good shot, some people say... Uh, it's frustrating, you know, he shouldn't have taken it. I was trying to tell everyone before the series started, this is a team that takes difficult shots. They 
they they make difficult shots. So to me, I feel like that's a normal Golden State Warriors attempt, you know? And I if I'm the Warriors, I'm cool with that shot, you know? Am I cool with that shot with 10 seconds left? Maybe not, but there is also that thought process and philosophy from coaches that hey, you can have 10 seconds, 15 seconds left on the clock. If you have a good look, you got to take it, especially if you're down, right? I'm not saying if you're if the Lakers were in that situation, you milk the clock, right? You don't even put a shot up in that sense. But the Warriors have to put up a shot. And he was as open as he was going to be on that possession, in my opinion, right? Like, like you see Anthony Davis a few steps away, you know, and, and it's like, he was a, he was relatively contested, right? It was a very late contest on that shot. But I think you live with that, right? Like Jordan Poole has made those shots. So I'm not I'm not on I'm not even I'm not even mad at that shot. Um I think it I think the shot was fine. I think, you know, if you've watched the Warriors, their whole era has been shots like that. And they've made shots like that. So they it, they only look bad when they don't go in. You know, but Poole makes that shot and we're not even talking about this, right? We're, we're instead, we're talking about how clutch he was, right? We're talking about how big of a shot that that actually was. So I don't know. That's, that's something that, that people are going to really cling to was that Jordan Poole shot. But it's like, at the end of the day, I mean, you look at the box score and they shot, I mean, as a team, I said before the series started that the Warriors were going to have to shoot just damn near perfectly uh, every night, you know, or, or, or at least obviously four games to, to have a chance to beat these Lakers because of the size advantage. It's, it's going to be, you know, I'm expecting the Lakers to lay an egg in game two. They play tonight at nine o'clock. I think that the Warriors are going to make some slight adjustments. I don't know what other adjustments they can make other than maybe guard guard better right like just I don't know I mean the Lakers shot terribly from three so it's like what adjustments can you really make I mean you're not going to grow overnight right like that's the biggest problem that the Warriors have and mind you if the Lakers shoot just average in this series from three I don't know how the Warriors win this game because the Warriors shot as as well as they did and they got a good Clay Thompson game you know they got a good Jordan Poole game and it's just like as a team they shot really well and they still lost, you know? So I think, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if, if, like I said, the Warriors just, they shoot equally well, right? Like they're just, they're just, they're just as good. And maybe the Lakers just don't have it, right? Like just the effort isn't there. I can totally see that happening for the Lakers, just the effort not being there, um, you know, but that's going to do it for this one. This is the All Things Basketball Podcast. I'm your host, Vic Lopez, as always, and I'll catch you guys on the next one. Oh, 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 oh,